0: Good evening, good to be back together tonight, appreciate another opportunity to spend some time in worship, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? God's given us a beautiful day, I hope today's been encouraging to you, I know that one thing I'm thankful for is a new clicker, it worked well this morning, uh, so, you know, there we go, it's working well tonight, so appreciate that, appreciate Brian setting that up for us. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the Ephesians, the fourth chapter. You'll join me there, Ephesians chapter 4. And this evening we're going to be studying in verses 7 through 16. If you'd like to join me there, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm looking at verses 7 through 16. What is the best gift that you've ever received? Talking about all of it, whether it be on a birthday, Christmas, some kind of special occasion, or maybe just in general, maybe it's on an anniversary, what is the best, what is the greatest gift that you've ever received? For some, that might be a little bit of a hard question. For some, that might be a little bit of an easier question. Maybe it's a toy that you received when you were little and you played with it for a lot of years. Maybe you still have it from your childhood, tucked away in a closet somewhere because you just couldn't get rid of it. I know I have some like that. Maybe for some of our ladies, it's a piece of jewelry that you received on an anniversary, like we said, birthday, Christmas time. Maybe it's something electronic, like a computer, a phone, a set of headphones, a gaming system. Maybe it's an announcement that a baby is coming soon. Maybe it's an announcement that you're going to be a parent or you're going to be a grandparent sometime in the near future. Maybe it's your girlfriend at the time saying yes to a very important question that you asked her, the question, will you marry me? Or maybe it's your boyfriend at the time finally getting down on one knee and asking that question. Maybe that's one of the greatest gifts that you've received. Or maybe it's something homemade, something that didn't cost a lot of money, didn't have to invest a lot of time into it, but you wouldn't trade it for the world because of the sentimental value that it has. What is the greatest gift? What is the best gift that you've ever received? When we look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we look at the text that we're ready for in verses 7 through 16, Paul talks about his gifts, Jesus' gifts, for us as members of his church. Among all of those who have given us gifts in the past, Jesus should be at the top of our list. Among all the gifts that we've received, among all the gifts that have been given to us throughout the years in our past, the gifts that Jesus has given to us should be at the top. They should be the greatest. They should be the ones that matter the most to us. You know, whenever you think about a gift, there has to be a giver and there has to be a receiver. With any kind of gift, there has to be a person who gives the gift, and there has to be a person who receives the gift. When we look in Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16, we see a gift. We also see in verses 7 through 10, if we want to divide up the text a little bit, in the first few verses, we see the giver of this gift, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the last part of the text, we see the receivers of this gift, us, Members of his church, those who make up his body. So, as we look through Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16 tonight, and as we study through this text together, I want us to look at those two ideas a little bit closer. In this text, we find a gift. We find the giver in verses 7 through 10, our Lord Jesus, and the receivers ourselves, the church, in verses 11 through 16. But let's start with the giver. Let's start by talking about our Lord Jesus in Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 7. I believe that this entire section of Scripture in verses 7 through 16 centers on two words. It all comes back to two words, and it's the last two words that you find in verse number 7, Christ, gift. That's what this section of Scripture is all about. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what Paul wants to focus on in these few verses. In Ephesians chapter 4, we are talking about Christ's gift. Whose gift is it? It's Christ. It's the gift that has come to us from Jesus. Paul talks about that gift in a couple of different ways. First, he says in verse 7, that is, it is defined as grace. In other words, these are gifts that we don't deserve. These are gifts that we haven't earned. We haven't merited these gifts by our own good works. These gifts that we're talking about in Ephesians 4 is God's, Jesus' grace in our lives. Well, who are these gifts available to? You look in verse number 7, when you continue reading there, you find that the gifts, Christ's gift in verse 7, is available to each one of us. That doesn't leave anybody out, does it? That doesn't leave you out. That doesn't leave me out. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. If you're a member of the Lord's church, if you belong to the Lord's body, then this is something that's available to you, and it's something that's available to me. Christ's gift in verse 7 is grace in our lives. It's available to each one of us. Where Paul spends most of his time talking about this is that Christ's gift is rooted in the Old Testament Scriptures. If you look in verse 8, maybe this verse is printed just a little bit different in your Bible. Paul is quoting from Psalms chapter 68 and verse 18. A psalm of David. When you look at this verse in its original context in Psalm 68, David is talking about God as this divine warrior who is victorious over his enemies. He's talking about God as a divine, victorious warrior who is ascending his holy hill, his holy mountain in the city of Jerusalem. Paul takes that verse from Psalm 68 and applies it to Jesus. Notice what he, what he says about Jesus, verse number 8, when he ascended on high. We read about that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9. When Jesus ascended back to the Father. We find here in verse 10 that when He ascended, He ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. Well, in order for Jesus to ascend on high, what did He have to do first? That's what Paul talks about in verses 9 and 10. In order for Jesus to ascend... He first had to descend, Paul says, that He descended into the lower regions. He descended to the earth. There's a couple of different ways of thinking about that. Some people think that refers to the grave, that Jesus was buried. His body was laid inside of the tomb. I believe what that refers to is His incarnation. Jesus descended to earth in the form of a man. He lived as a human being, he died, he buried, he, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. Forty days later, what did he do? He ascended on high that he might fill all things. He descended and then ascended back to the Father. What did he do when he ascended? Paul says two things. First, he led a host of captives. Back in this time, whenever a king would conquer another nation... Whenever an army would conquer another army, they would bring back captives. And those captives would serve as their slaves or their servants out in their fields. Jesus is the victorious king. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. What Paul's saying there is that he was victorious over his enemies. When Jesus ascended on high, he was victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over Satan. Whenever Jesus ascended on high, He is the triumphant, victorious Christ who is leading a host of captives. Notice that's not the only thing that Paul says. At the end of verse 8, it ties it back into the main idea of this text that when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. As the victorious Christ ascended back to the right hand of the Father, He not only demonstrated His victory over His enemies, but He also gave gifts. He gave gifts to members of His church. That's what we're talking about in verse 7. Christ's gift. The grace that we've received. What we don't deserve. Something that's available to each one of us. Something that is rooted in the Old Testament Scriptures. Christ is the giver of the gifts that we're talking about in Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. If we wanted to summarize it, we might say it like this Some have suggested that verses 7 through 10 are some of the most difficult verses to deal with in Ephesians. Well, I think if we summarize it, we could say that Jesus descended to earth. As a result, He ascended to the right hand of God. He overcame His enemies. He led them captive. He is triumphant. He is the victorious King. And as a result, He has given grace in the form of gifts to each member of His church. He is the giver of the gifts that we're talking about here in Ephesians 4. Whenever you receive a gift, the giver is showing you how much they love you. They're showing you that they're interested in your life. Whenever we receive gifts, we should respond with gratitude. We should respond with thanksgiving. Whenever we receive gifts, it makes us want to give back, doesn't it? Not because we're earning the gift that we just received, but it motivates us to give a gift back to them to reciprocate the action. Think about what Jesus has done. Jesus left the Father's side. He descended to Earth and lived as a man. Being victorious over his enemies, he ascended back to the right hand of the Father and gave each one of us gifts. Christ' gift in Ephesians chapter four and verse seven, where no one is left. To, he's given us gifts that we don't deserve, gifts that we haven't earned. Do we ever take the time to express appreciation to him for that? Do we ever set apart time in our week to thank Him for the gifts that He's given to us? To allow that to motivate us to serve Him, to remain faithful to Him? But think about what Jesus has done for us. Ascending on high, leading a host of captives, and giving gifts to men. Jesus has done that for each one of us. Does that motivate us to do things for Him? Does that motivate us to live faithfully to Him on a daily basis, when we look at how much He loves us, when we look at how interested He is in our lives, whenever we see what He was willing to do in giving gifts, does it motivate us? Does it drive us on our knees in thanksgiving and gratitude to our Lord, our Savior, our Christ for who He is and for what He's done for us? So the first part of this text is dedicated to Jesus. He's the giver of these gifts. But now that we've seen his side of this, let's think about our side. Let's think about how we, as members of his church, members of his body, are receivers of these gifts. A question that we haven't asked or answered yet is a question that we need to ask and answer. What gift is Paul talking about here? If we were to just throw out the general question, what kind of gifts has Jesus given to us? What kind of gift has Jesus placed in your life? Well, I'd say we could come up with a pretty long list, couldn't we? What's the gift that Paul has in mind in Ephesians 4? Well, notice he says in verse 11, And he, Jesus, gave. What are the gifts that Jesus has given? Paul's telling us about it in verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Jesus is the victorious, triumphant King who when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. He's given gifts to each member of His church. But what is the gift that Paul focuses on in Ephesians 4? In verse number 11, it's leadership. The one gift that Paul focuses in on that Christ has given to each member of His church is leadership. He mentions five different positions of leadership. First, he talks about the apostles. Well, really, when you look at the first two, we've already saw them paired together in Ephesians. Remember back in chapter 2 and verse 20, where Paul says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The church is built on the foundation of their teaching and preaching. Here we come back to the apostles. In prophets. The word apostle literally means a person who is sent on a specific task. It can be used in a very general way. Sometimes it's used that way in the New Testament to refer to just people who were sent. But the majority of the time the word apostle is used throughout the New Testament, it's used to refer to those who occupied that leadership role. The 12 apostles that Jesus selected in his earthly ministry. Matthias in Acts chapter 1 who replaced Judas. Paul, who was also an apostle, one who was born out of due time. Number two, he mentions the prophets. Remember, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They're preaching and teaching. Prophets back in this time were those who spoke on behalf of God. God would miraculously inspire them to speak His Word by His Spirit, and that's what they would do. They would announce God's message to God's people. Third, he mentions the evangelist. You know what the word evangelist means? It means a person who shares good news. A person who shares glad tidings. The word evangelist and the word gospel come from the same Greek word. An evangelist is someone who evangelizes. Someone who shares the gospel. Someone who preaches the good news about Jesus. In the New Testament, they would establish new congregations and they would support already existing congregations. Fourth, in the ESV, he talks about the shepherds I know that almost every other translation uses the word pastor. When you look into the religious world, I believe that word is oftentimes very seriously misused. In the religious world, the the word pastor or even the word shepherd is used to refer to the preacher. Sometimes when I'm out in public, people ask me what I do. They ask me if I'm the pastor, if I'm the shepherd of the congregation. That's not the way the word is used in the New Testament. The word pastor or shepherd, according to 1 Peter chapter 5 or Acts chapter 20, is used to refer to not a preacher, but the elders, the overseers, the bishops of any given congregation. Those men, the plurality of men, who meet the qualifications that are laid out in the book of 1 Timothy and also the book of Titus. I'm not a pastor. Michael's not a pastor. Our song leaders are not worship pastors. We have two pastors, two shepherds here at Seven Oaks. And I don't see one. Oh, he's doing the hall monitor. We have Joel and Marty. Jesus has gifted His church with that leadership position. Shepherds, elders, pastors who shepherd congregations of the Lord's people. Who lead them in the direction that the chief shepherd would have them to go. That's the way Peter talks about it as a fellow shepherd in 1 Peter chapter 5, and then number 5, he talks about teachers. Notice how teaching is involved in every single position that Paul mentions in verse 11. But then you look at the church, there are those in the first century who weren't apostles, they weren't prophets, they weren't evangelists, and they weren't pastors, they weren't she- they were just teachers fulfilling a very important role. The word of God has to be taught. What is the gift that Jesus has given to His church? It's leadership in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. He has given that gift to each member of His body. I would suggest to you that those five leadership roles in verse 11 are still active in the church today. The first two, of course, the position of an apostle or a prophet doesn't continue into this time. But what did we say in chapter 2 and verse 20? The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. As long as we follow the New Testament pattern, as long as we follow the teachings of the apostles and prophets, they will continue to serve as the foundation. The other three, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, or teachers, well, we see those in any congregation of the Lord's church, or we should. Those who preach the good news, the plurality of men who shepherd the congregation, those who teach the Word of God. You can look around this auditorium and see people who fulfill those roles. So the one gift that Paul... centered I mean, think about this. Paul could have mentioned any gift that Christ has given to his church. We already mentioned one in Ephesians 2, salvation. He could have talked about any gift, and he talks about leadership. Why? Why is this so important? Why has Jesus gifted the church with leadership in verse 11? Well, if you keep reading... Paul says the purpose of this gift, the purpose of the leadership in verse 11, is to equip the saints in verse 12, to equip the holy people of God. The central purpose of leadership in any given congregation is to equip the members, to prepare the members, to make them ready to be the people who God wants them to be. We have to keep our eyes on this. It'd be so easy for the leadership of any congregation to become distracted from this purpose, to not look towards this purpose, to not think about this purpose. The purpose of Christ's gift leadership is to equip the saints. For what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The word ministry literally means to serve, as if a servant or slave in the first century world would do. Jesus used that word in Mark 10, verse 45, to say, I did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. Leadership in the church prepares, equips the saints to do that. Not to be served, but to serve. To follow Jesus' example of service. And then Paul says the, the second thing that leadership equips the church to do is to build up the body of Christ. We want the church to be built up in a number of different ways. We want the church to be built up numerically, not just so that we can post big numbers, but because each number represents a soul. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to form and develop relationships with Jesus. We want the church to be built up spiritually. We want to be strong in our passion like we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. We want to be dedicated. We want to have a zeal, a concern for those who are lost, for those who aren't in the right relationship with Jesus. We not only want the church to be built up, but we want it to be a place where we're built up. We want it to be a place of encouragement. This is the place where we're encouraged to find and to fulfill our potential in God's kingdom. So what gift... Has Jesus given to the church its leadership in verse 11? What's the purpose of that leadership? To equip the saints, to prepare them, to make them ready to serve like Jesus served and to build up His body. Well, what's the ultimate goal of this? What are we working towards? If you narrow it down to one word in verses 13 through 16, he says the goal of Christ's gift is maturity. It's a powerful argument, isn't it? Can you see the progression of Paul's argument here? Can you see the wisdom of God and how he has established his church, the gifts that Jesus has given to it? Christ has gifted the church with leadership. The purpose of leadership is to equip the saints. And when the saints are equipped, what does the church do? It marches on towards maturity. Paul says that in a number of different ways, beginning in verse 13. He says that we all, are to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, we're to be united in what Scripture says. In what the Word of God teaches. We are to... Reach mature manhood. Notice the word maturity there as the ESV translates it. We are to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're not just trying to reach some benchmark level of maturity or some subjective definition of maturity. We want to be like Jesus. We want to mature so that we can be like Jesus in every single way. If we're going to grow to mature manhood, verse 14, we can't be children any longer. We can't be tossed to and fro by every doctrine or teaching that we hear. We can't be tricked by deceitful schemes. Instead, verse 15, we speak the truth in love. And like we just said a few seconds ago, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Just like children want to grow up to be like their parents, as members of Jesus' body, we should want to grow up to be like Him. Sometimes we wonder, why aren't we doing that? Why isn't the church growing? Why isn't the church maturing? Why isn't the church becoming more like Jesus? Well, I think you find a pretty powerful answer in verse 16. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 is a powerful, very relevant formula for church growth. If we want the church to grow, if we want the church to mature, what do we do? Oh, we change the way we worship. We change what we teach. We divert from the New Testament pattern and and we teach what's going to attract people, what's going to cause people to sit in these seats. That's not what we do. Paul says in verse 16, if we want the church to grow, if we want the church, the body, to build itself up in love, each member must work properly. Each member must fulfill its role. Each member must fulfill its function. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that God has placed each member in His body just like He wants it. Just like He pleased in His infinite wisdom. What happens when I don't fulfill my role? What happens when you don't fulfill your role in the body of Christ? Think of it like a body. If you lose any part of your body, you're not going to function properly. If you lose your leg, you're not going to function properly. If you lose your big toe, you're not going to function properly. You might struggle a little bit with balance. If you were to cut off all your fingers, your hand would not function properly. In the same way, if we have one member of Christ's body that's not functioning properly, it's not just going to impact that person, it's going to impact the whole body. When I don't fulfill my role, when you don't fulfill your role, we're not going to be able to grow. And we're not going to be able to edify ourselves in love, as Paul talks about in verse 16. That's how we make the church grow. That's how we build up the church. That's how we equip those who are a part of it. each member has to do their part. If we want to reach maturity, each member has to do their part. So it takes some reflection. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do in the body of Christ? Am I fulfilling my role? Are you? Are you fulfilling your role within the body of Christ? We need you. We can't do it without you. Just like if one piece of a puzzle is missing, the puzzle's not complete. If one member in the body of Christ is not serving in their particular function, role, or job, the church, the body, is not going to be complete. It's a powerful argument where Paul says, Look at this, look at the triumphant Christ. He's victorious. He's overcome His enemies, and He's given gifts to each one of us. What is the gift? It's leadership. What's the purpose of leadership? To equip the saints. Well, what's the goal? What happens when we equip the saints? We march on towards maturity, the church grows, and we become more like Jesus. The wisdom of God in this text, the grace of our Lord Jesus, is overwhelming, isn't it? There's no greater gift than His gifts for us. In Ephesians 4 verses 7 through 10, we learn about the giver, our Lord Jesus. It should make us fall more in love with him. We learn about the receivers, ourselves, the church. Jesus has given us leadership to equip the saints, to go on to maturity. Each one of us have the responsibility to fulfill our roles within the body of Christ. If you're not actively filling that role, there's a hole. The church is not going to be able to function like it should. So are you fulfilling your role? And am I fulfilling mine? We mentioned a few minutes ago, another gift that Jesus is willing to give to us is salvation. Remember Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the what gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Just like Jesus has given leadership to His church, He's willing to give salvation to us, to whosoever will, as we oftentimes sing. Do you you need to receive that gift tonight by being baptized, by being immersed in the waters of baptism, rising up to walk in newness of life? Do you need to rededicate yourself to that gift. If you're not fulfilling your role in the body of Christ and, and you would like to say publicly, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to be sold out for Jesus for the cause that we're working towards here under our leadership, then we would love to help you in any way that we can as together we stand and sing.